Literally Lit, a monthly podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai, thank you for listening. I have a bit of a change of pace for you this month. This is the first in a series of episodes chatting with authors who are exploring identity, transformation and deep reflection. This episode I'm joined by psychologist Peter Quarry to chat about his self-help memoir, If I Were You, A Psychologist Puts Himself on the Couch, published by Hardy Grant Books. In this fascinating and original book, Peter skillfully deconstructs his own life, showing how you can unpack and reboot yours. As sex and drug addicted Pete, he describes his sometimes shocking, always colourful background. Then, as international known psychologist PQ, he analyses it with compassion, yet clinical objectivity. The result is a work of insight and practical wisdom. In putting himself on his own couch, Peter will inspire you to reflect on your life's journey and give you a toolkit to confront the curveballs heading your way. Peter is a multi-award winning psychologist whose videos and training programs are used by Fortune 500 companies, universities and organisations in over 20 countries. He was resident psychologist on Good Morning Australia for seven years and a sought after seminar leader and public speaker. Peter lives in Melbourne and is available for interview, events and writing submissions. I hope you enjoy our chat. Peter Quarry, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my total pleasure. You've had such an interesting life growing up on boats between Europe and Australia, spending time growing up in Rome, coming out during the 70s, being the resident psychologist on Good Morning Australia with Bert (laughs) Newton. You've incorporated this lived experience into your book, If I Were You. Can you tell me more about your book? Okay, well, I uh, I started it the year before the pandemic hit, and to be honest with you, when I first started it, I didn't really have the intention of writing a book. I, I actually just wanted to do a sort of personal exercise, and the exercise was to do what's called a life review. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I was kind of in my you know early to mid sixties, and uh, I'd been reading a little bit about the psychology of aging, and uh, particularly the work of a, an American psychologist called Victoria Howard, and she talked about a life review, a, a review being a really kind of useful thing to do. I hasten to add that it. You don't have to wait till you're in your 60s to do it. You can certainly do it at earlier stages of life. But it's basically an exercise where you step back from the you know hustle and bustle of day-to-day life and you take uh, a kind of a long, hard look at yourself and your life and you ask questions, you know, how's it going? Am I happy with it? Is this the life I intended to live? What's working? What's not working? What do I want to change? And so on. I mean, it was Socrates who famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living, and he'll be very happy to hear that I agree with him. So the the work started off as a a personal exercise, um, and as it sort of went on, and, you know, by the time I was about, I guess, three quarters of the way through it, I thought, no, this is um, this is something that I want to I want to share with the world. I think I think it's 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 a work that can help people with their lives. I love the format of the book, combining memoir with self-help, and how you take the part of psychologist and patient. How difficult was it, though, to separate Peter the man from PQ the psychologist? Oh, not not difficult at all. That that was very, very easy. Look, the the rationale behind that, um, Kai, was that um, uh, we... 
a life review basically involves two steps. Uh, the first thing, the first step is to write the story of your life. Um, because obviously if you're going to review it, it helps to sort of have it there, uh, in written word. And there is research that shows that when you write about your past, particularly about difficult, uh, events that might have happened, including traumas, um, writing about this can actually have quite a beneficial effect. Um, but writing a story of your life is only one of the steps. The second step is to unpack what you've written, to make sense of it. Mm. And in fact, there is further research that shows that the people who benefit most out of writing about their lives are people who tend to include expressions like in their writing. It now makes sense to me that or I can join the dots and realize now that dot 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 so uh, expressions and words that signify that you're not just describing your life but you're actually trying to analyze it or unpack it or see the patterns or make sense of it and it's those two elements that are important now the device that i used is i split myself as you say into two halves there's pete who's me who's the kind of slightly wild drug-taking, sex-addicted, grew-up-in-the-70s uh, guy um, whose life I unpack. But then there's PQ, PQ being, of course, my initials, uh, and that was the nickname that I used to be called when I worked uh, by my colleagues. And he's the sort of, you know, internationally known psychologist with 40 years' experience, blah, blah, blah. So PQ actually helps Pete unpack his life. So the book is structured as a, a series of letters backwards and forwards between these two parts of me. I love that format. I think it's a great way to do it. Um, I do find, though, in myself, I want to look back and, and I often examine my life um, and have my own traumas where I need to make sense of them. Yeah. But I find myself making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. How easy was it for you to look at yourself and identify those mistakes? Um, certainly I didn't have any sort of barrier to do it. I mean, I think there are a lot of people for whom the idea of doing a life review is very threatening because they don't want to look at their lives. They don't perhaps want to see a truth that might, might require some action to change. Um, that certainly wasn't the case with me. Um, uh, I mean, you'd think that as a psychologist, I would have worked myself out completely by now. Mm. And I must confess to you, I mean, I'm a human and uh, I actually learned a lot about myself um, from the process and resolved uh, a, a number of issues. I mean, I'll give you one example. Um, as you said in your intro, uh, you know, I had a pretty crazy childhood. I got dragged around the world for years and uh, I, my father died when I was very young. Uh, I had a, a, a kind of crazy mother who was inappropriate in many ways. Um, for a long, long time, you know, and then I discovered I was gay as well uh, in the late 60s when it wasn't really super cool to be gay as it is now. Um, for a long, long time, I mean, most of my life, I felt angry about my childhood. I felt, why me? You know, why did my father have to die? Why couldn't it have been somebody else's father who died? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've carried with me a kind of an anger, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, one of the questions, because, I mean, analysing your life involves asking questions. One of the questions I asked myself, or PQ asked Pete, if you will, was, is there another way of looking at your childhood that might result in you feeling different 
about it, differently about it. And there was. Um, I realised doing this exercise that as crazy as my childhood was, and it was crazy, it allowed me, or it forced me really, to develop two very important life skills, resilience, which is the ability to bounce back from adversity, and adaptability, which is obviously the ability to cope with change. And these are two skills that I have in abundance. I know exactly where I've developed them, my childhood, and they have helped me immensely in my adult life. So I now look back at my childhood, and instead of feeling angry about it, I'm actually glad that I had it. Gratitude. Correct. Correct. Glad that I had it because I realized the benefits that it gave me. So, um, no, so, so it, it wasn't hard for me to, to do the analysis. The, the, the trick is to know how and what questions to ask. Mm. And, of course, that's what I try to cover in the book. So this leads me to my next question because you, you're examining some very intimate moments of your life and some painful times yeah. in your life. Did you initially find that difficult to revisit those moments in your life? Um, to be honest, no. I mean, you know, don't forget when I started the exercise, I, I wasn't intending to publish it as a book. It was mm. an exercise for me. So in terms of the privacy of my own, you know, the relationship between me and my computer, uh, it, it didn't really bother me. I mean, I did, I did hesitate about whether to include a lot of details, particularly, particularly about the drugs mm. and the sex. Um, but I, I actually took some counsel from none other than Joan Rivers, the American comedian. <laughs> uh, you, you may recall, I mean, she died a few years ago, but a few years before she died, uh, they made a documentary about her called A Piece of Work. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was pretty, you know, pretty revealing. And I saw an interview with her a year or two after the documentary come out and the interviewer asked her, you know, did you feel uncomfortable revealing that much about yourself? And her answer, which I took on board for my project, the, her answer was, look, if you're going to do that sort of thing, you've got to let it all out. Otherwise, don't do it. Right. At the start of your book, you yeah. pitch your idea to yourself, yeah. um, which I thought was great. Um, is that the same way you pitched to publishers when you decided you wanted to publish the book? Um, well, I had an agent who, who did, who did the pitching, so, uh, so I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how he did it. Um, but yes, I mean, I, the introduction is called Pitching the Idea. Um, and I, uh, I, I, I deliberately wanted to play on that word because Pete was pitching the idea to PQ, but obviously I, as the author, am pitching the idea to potential readers. So, so that, that's kind of where that, that little, uh, ambiguity, uh, or, or double meaning came from and did you have your agent from your previous career or was that uh did you look for a, a oh, literary agent yeah no i got a literary agent kai because this is my first book i mean i published a lot of stuff in the past i i had a business for 25 years with uh, my ex-business partner eve ash and we made corporate training videos mm -hmm. uh, that i wrote and i presented and we distributed them in 20 countries around the world and uh so, uh, you know, I, I've had a long career of creating psychological material, but just not in the book format. Uh, you know, I used to give talks at conferences. I used to run seminars. I was on TV uh, for a while uh, dispensing psychological.
legal advice. But this is the first time I'd, I'd written like a full length book. So um, I didn't really have anyone to draw on from my past, but I, I found a wonderful uh, uh, person who uh, works as a literary agent. And uh, I mean, when he read the book, I wasn't sure whether he'd take it on or not, but he, he, he really liked it. Um, and uh, he he uh, he pitched it, and uh, you know it wasn't easy to get to get it published, uh, particularly as a, a first time author. I mean, a lot of I mean, I spoke to one woman, for example, from one of the major publishing houses, which obviously will remain nameless, and she said that she loved the book and she she particularly responded to the authenticity of it. Yeah. But she said, look, it's really hard because you know you don't have a big social media profile. And it's not up to me. I mean, if it was 20 years ago, I just would have published it. But nowadays you have to present it to the, I don't know, is it called the publications committee that consists of marketing and finance and, you know, all of these other bean counter types. And unfortunately, they're the people who make the decision. So the, the world has changed a lot. But yeah, my, my agent was, was terrific. I mean, he obviously had the contacts. And mm. so he, uh, he did the rounds. But I finally got it published with Hardy Grant, to, to whom I'm very grateful. And did you just pitch to one literary agent? Was he the first yeah. person? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Look, he, I, I knew I knew him socially, mm. um, and uh, he was he's he's very very well connected. I mean, his name is Bob Sessions. I, I don't think he'll mind me mentioning his name. Hi, he, Bob. He, he, <laughs> Bob, if you're listening, he uh, he used to would be very senior at Penguin. I mean, he's now of an age where pretty well everyone in publishing in Australia probably worked for him at some stage. So he, he knows everyone who's everyone. And uh, he was the first person I pitched to. He liked the book, was agreeable about taking it on. So that was that, that box ticked as far as I was concerned. Fantastic. And how have your family, friends and colleagues felt now that you've shared your story? Because um, there is quite a, a lot to unpack there. Have you had reactions from those close to you? Well, look, most most of those close to me know most of the stories anyway. I mean, God, God, God help them. They've, they've, they've heard it, you know, at dinner parties and, and what, what have you, where, you know, one, one tends to tell stories about one's past when relevant. So it, I don't think there was, like, huge revelations there. Mm-hmm. Um, most people said that they knew a lot of the stories, but there was certainly a bit of filling in here and there. I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I want to just say to you and you, your listeners, Kai, that I see this book not as a memoir, but really a self-help book. This is a book about how to, how to do a self uh, a life review, how to, how to look at your life, how to analyze your life. And I, I try to explain how to do that and I give a methodology for how to do that. But then I demonstrate by doing it on myself. Mm. So, so my story is really, you know, incidental in the sense that it's just a case study to illustrate how to use a particular methodology as opposed to the, the be all and end all of the book. But, mm. uh, having said that, I hope that people, uh, enjoy the story and certainly I've got a lot of feedback that people find the story of my life pretty, pretty much of a roller coaster, which, um, which it was and, and continues to be. And have you had feedback from readers on how the book is helping them? Has anyone yes. read it and, and done some self-analysis? Yes, um, and it, it is music to my ears when I hear that stories like that because that's the, the complete intention of the book. I mean, if people don't want to do a whole life review, that's fine. If the book just triggers them to think about a couple of issues here and there, I'm thrilled and wrapped. I mean, I'll give you one example. 
a woman I know in her mid-60s, split up a couple of years ago from her partner of about eight or nine years. And the reason for the split up, to to cut a very long story short, the reason for the split up is that um, she wanted to buy a house with him. And he was kind of stuffing around and there was a re- there always seemed to be a reason not to do it. And he had to sell another property first. And then his father was dying and the will and blah, 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 blah. And she finally couldn't stand it anymore and basically engineered a split up. And when I talked to her about it, her reason for doing so is, well, he's just not committed. He's not committed to the relationship. I remember pointing out to her that he had been living with her for numerous years, which seemed to me to be a reasonable sense of commitment. But no, in her mind, it wasn't a commitment. Anyway. She read my book and, as a result, started to think about her past and remembered her very first love affair with this guy in her early 20s, and they were going to buy a house together. And for some reason that I don't know, he ended up splitting very suddenly. And, of course, in her mind then, she associated someone who doesn't want to buy a house with you with somebody who's not committed and is about to split at any moment. And, of course, this has influenced her behaviour in this more recent relationship. Now, has this released her from this sort of prison, if you will? Um, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But I was thrilled when she told me that she joined those dots, made that connection between a very, very early experience, you know, over 40 years ago and her more more subsequent uh, relationship. That's amazing that you're connecting with your readers and able to hear back on how how what impact you're having as well yeah yeah i mean it's look it's it, it, as i say it's music to my ears because that's that's the intention of the book is to is to make you reflect on your life i mean not just as a sort of navel gazing exercise because who cares about that but in order to generate some benefits and i believe there are three particular benefits that you can get from doing a life review. First of all, uh, making peace with your past, and I, I've given you the example of this woman and also my own example uh, to illustrate that. I do think, though, another benefit is that when you when you take a step back and you think about your life and you reflect on it, you get to know yourself better. You, you come to understand yourself. You start developing what psychologists call insight. You, you, you start learning about how you come across to other people, about what your, you know, your, your, your hot buttons are and so on. And there's a lot of evidence that shows that people with elevated levels of self-awareness lead far more successful lives on a whole bunch of criteria. But the third benefit, I think, about doing a life review is that it's not just about the past. It also, I think, gives you an opportunity to think about the future you know what do you want to change going forward and I don't just mean obvious things like I want to get fitter or give up cigarettes or you know what have you it might be I want to I want to think differently and I'll I'll give you an example once again from my own experience I realized as a result of doing this life review that I'm a pessimist and 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 I was quite surprised because I always thought I was really sort of sunny and optimistic, but I've actually got this deeply pessimistic streak to me. And, of course, being at my age now in my mid-60s, I'm grappling with or, not, or starting to grapple with thoughts about getting older and what that means and what it's going to be like and what have you. And I've been very negative about it. I mean, if you ask any of my friends when I turned 60, it was a catastrophe. 
I've now realized that my my view about that, my thinking about getting older has been clouded by my my pessimism. Oh. And really, really, I don't need to be that pessimistic. Uh, in fact, if I think about the resilience and adaptability that I've obtained from my childhood, and if I think about applying that going forward, I can actually be very optimistic about my my, my years ahead. So, um, yeah, it's not just about the past. It's also an opportunity for you to think about what changes you want to make in, in the future, no matter how many years you've got left. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know, like, I am 45, and when I turned 40... I thought it was the end of the world. Um, But certainly because I hadn't achieved the things that I thought I'd hoped I would have by that stage. And I um, had been, I was a a single mum. I had two boys on the spectrum. I wasn't particularly successful in my career. And I was going, oh, my my life is over. This is devastating. Um, But from there, I've really... Like my whole life has changed within five years, and so my outlook is so different. Right. Um, but I had a period of nearly ten years where everything was going wrong all the time, yeah. and I could not imagine the ch- the change that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now, as I reflect, I'm like, oh, those changes can happen. Sometimes you have a lot of control over it by the actions yeah. that you take, but then there's other things that just happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but my outlook on life has changed dramatically now right. that I'm looking back rather than looking forward going, oh, nothing will ever get better. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, certainly hitting that age, if there's so much pressure to have achieved. You yes. should be married, you should have your house, you should have yes. your 3.5 yes. children, yep. Yep. Your, your dog jumping around and a perfect <laughs> husband, and I had none of those things. Um, and so you really feel like you're having... An existential crisis, really. Well, well, you know, um, you know what you're talking about uh, is is a midlife crisis, which does t- typically typically happen in your forties, mm. and um, it, it's exactly about uh, comparing the life that you've got uh, with the dreams and fantasies that you had twenty twenty five years earlier, and uh, that can be very confronting. Um, uh, I, I mentioned before that. Part of the well, the process of reviewing your life involves asking questions, and I gave some examples of some questions, and they were kind of very generic questions that can apply to any stage of your life. But in the book, I I also look at particular eras of your life and provide some psychological theories and contexts and questions to help you understand them that are more age specific. So, for example, in your forties, there are a lot of questions that I think are useful that can help you work out your midlife crisis. I mean, for example, have you got a purpose in life? And what is a purpose? Mm. And that is something that I think people in their 40s and getting to the 50s particularly grapple with because it's like, okay, I've had a lot of fun and I've done all of this. Now what? What's going to give me meaning in my life? So I, I, I think there are there are other sorts of questions. I mean, in your 20s, for example, a lot of the questions are around uh, relationships and, you know, why you tend to fall in love with the same people over and over again, even though you know they're not the right person for you. So, you know, the questions in your 20s are different from the questions in your 40s uh, that are different from the questions in your 60s. And do you feel with your book that were you compelled to get it published to help other people that felt the same as you? 
Yes. Um, look, uh, I did a lot of work around the issue of per- my purpose. What is the purpose of my life? And I realised that I, I actually, sh- shamefully, I have to admit, I hadn't actually worked out what my purpose was. I thought I had, but I, in fact, I hadn't. I mean, I was certainly in the helping profession, so I was helping people through, you know, all sorts of means. But I, I, I there, there was a sort of missing piece, um, and that was around uh, really trying to not do it for my own, you know, fame and fortune, but rather do it in order to help other people. And so, uh, you know, as I say, when I got to a certain stage with this book, I, I, I realised that... It's, it's got a kind of a new angle. I mean, there's a lot of, God knows, there's a lot of self-help books around and a lot of them tend to repeat what a lot of other people write. But I thought to myself, this, this has got a kind of a new angle on how to reflect and how to, how to improve your life and how to feel better. I mean, which is what we all want to do. And, um, and that's why I felt compelled to try and get it, um, published. I mean, I'm, I'm not in it for the money. I'm not going to make any money out of this. I'm not interested in the fame if, if it comes or if it doesn't. Genuinely, my my purpose was to try and share this with people because I really do believe, having had forty plus years as a as a psychologist, particularly in the education sort of area, I really do believe that it's got something that can help people. And uh, going back to your earlier question, I, I'm really thrilled. I mean, the book's only been out for a couple of weeks, but I'm really thrilled with the um, the, the 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 reaction and you know. People are saying, you know, it's made me, it's made me think about, you know, and now I realise that, and I've come to understand this about myself, and that's exactly what it's about. Mm-hmm. I do always love hearing in my when I send my own work out into the world that it's made somebody think or inspired them to take some sort of action. Yeah, um, so that must be great to get that feedback. A- absolutely. Um, look, look, I mean. You can never predict how things are going to uh, sort of be perceived. But at one level, I'm not surprised because um, I've got 40 plus years experience developing psychological content. I mean, we when when Eve and I made corporate videos, um, I was I, I used to write the scripts and I used to be the presenter. They were on, you know, team building and, you know, leadership and all the sort of soft skills, what are called soft skills. You know, we came to see that a lot of them did very, very well and and really, really helped people. And then even when I was on Good Morning Australia for all those years as the resident psychologist, I mean, I would get letters from people amazingly, I mean, amazingly saying that the advice that I'd given had changed their life. I mean, expressions like that. I mean, I remember there was one woman who wrote into me. She, when I was on on GMA, she wrote into me and she she'd had a baby a week earlier and she was feeling really teary and depressed and what have you. And she thought she was going crazy. And she wrote into me at a TV show. Can you believe it? For help. And I remember when Bert read the, the letter out to me, I, I turned to the camera and I, I tried to speak directly to her and I said, look, what you're experiencing is totally normal, mm. you know, after giving birth because your hormones are all over the shop. And But, you know, where is your partner? Where is the father of the child? Where are the doctors? Where is your support network? You know, you shouldn't be doing this alone or feeling all this stuff alone. Yeah, and yeah. You, sh- you shouldn't be writing into a TV show, for goodness sake. And she wrote to me a letter the following week saying, thank you so much, you've saved, quote, you've saved my life. And I was so humbled by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and it made me realise 
how many people there are out there who need some good quality, easy to understand psychological help because for whatever reason, and I don't get it, it just isn't there for them. Well, it can be so easy to be isolated. Yes. Um, and yeah. especially in the world we're in at the moment where we're all staying home as much as possible and yeah. trying to keep safe, it's very isolating. Yeah, um, yeah. And having things to read and advice from someone like you could be you could even just touch that one person um, and be be helpful and help change their direction. Yeah, well, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I, that was sort of after several years on Good Morning Australia and I had been thinking, oh, do I really want to do this? Is it really making a difference, you know? Um, and when I got that letter, as I say, it, it really humbled me and I thought exactly what you're saying, Kai. I thought, look, if... If just one person can hear this and benefit, who am I to who am I to complain about? You know, going to a studio for five or ten minutes once a week. So I I kept doing it for another few years after that. Now I have a few quick fire questions, which are just sure. um, for us to get to know you a little bit better, um, sure. and so your uh, readers can get to know you. Um, sure. Did you have a favourite book growing up? Um, I used to love Enid Blyton, The Famous Five. Yes, um, I don't recall a particular title because I probably read them all, but I think that off the top of my head, I mean, as a child, that probably would have been, that series probably would have been my favourite. Now, if you could go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, what advice would I give the 21-year-old? Um don't beat yourself up so much. That's a good one. I mean, it's a common, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, the amount, you know, when I think of the amount of time I wasted doubting myself and being uncertain and being unsure of whether what I was doing was worthwhile, I, you know, it's just, it, it's just such a waste of time. You can be doing, even if you're lying on the beach, do something else rather than that. So yeah, I think, I think probably that. And do you have any advice for other authors who might be looking to write a memoir or a self-help book? Well, look, um, what advice would I give? I mean, I've only written one book, so I don't know. I don't really want to present myself as an expert in this space. I, I think with I think with any I think with the production of any creative output, whether it's a book, a painting, or a you know a video or a piece of music or what have you. I think the, the the worst thing is your internal critic, you know, is that little voice inside you saying, no, that's not that good, they're not going to like it, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I guess um, the trick that I did, which I didn't consciously do at the time, but actually worked out quite well, just say, I'm doing this for myself. This is not, I'm not going to try and get this published. I'm not going to try and share this with anyone. This is just for me. And then at least you silence the critic because the critic doesn't have a role in that mm -hmm. sort of exercise. So I would say, do that. And do you currently have a book on your bedside table that you're reading at the moment? I have just literally yesterday finished um, uh, Stephen Pinker, is it? I, I, I'm terrible with names. I think it's Stephen Pinker, the, is it The Age of Enlightenment? or It's something about enlightenment. Um, uh, Bill Gates described it as, as his new favourite book. Do you, know, do you know the one I'm talking about? I'm Googling it as we speak. Oh, great. Thank you for rescuing it. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Steven Pinker, and it's some it's like in the age of enlightenment or the age of his his basic argument is that the world is actually not getting in a worse situation; it's actually getting in a better situation. And he goes through all sorts of statistics and studies to oh, show. That's it's interesting. It's quite a, it's quite a um, especially for a pessimist like me, it's quite it's quite a challenging book. But uh, I mean, it's pretty dense. It's not something you read in one go. You kind mm. of read it. You know, you read a chapter and you go read something else, and then you come back to it. It's it's very densely written. But um, I like I like the sort of basic direction of his argument. And you know, for somebody who trained as a social scientist, he certainly draws on a lot of data to back up his arguments, and that's always refreshingly new and interesting. I might have to get that. I've been having a little bit of a challenge with the war in the Ukraine at the moment um, yeah. because I've always thought, oh, a war like this couldn't possibly ever happen again. Surely yeah. we would step in and stop that. And now it, it's happening <laughs> and my mind can't really, um, yeah, I can't get my head around it at all. Um, yeah. I mean, I do think the press has really been, you know, they love, you know, blood and guts. But, yeah, I mean, coming, I, I, I think coming right on the heels of the pandemic probably is, mm. you know, intensifies the reaction that we're having to it. I mean, not that it's not awful and, you know, terrible and, and, and all of that, but, you know, you know, particularly here in Australia, you know, the bushfires and then the floods and the pandemic and now, you know, a war and, and you know, they're saying he's thinking about nuclear war. I mean, you know, enough already. Stop. I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back 10 years. I, look, um, having challenged myself as a pessimist, I've now, um, I've now been reborn as an optimist and I think it will, I, my prediction, uh, I shouldn't be doing this, my prediction is they'll sign some sort of peace deal. I, I think it'll all kind of mm. go away reasonably quickly, but I may be wrong. Arnold Schwarzenegger did put out a statement today appealing to Putin, so um, I saw that on the news, so hopefully... <laughs> well, good old army. He might the listen to that. <laughs> Okay, so my final question is: If you could invite five writers to dinner, oh crikey! Well, it'd have to be—I'd have to say Enid Blyton, <laughs> obviously, mm -hmm. um, uh, Truman Capote, um, oh, who wrote a wonderful memoir that I read a few years ago. It was very, very entertaining. Probably Doris Lessing, um, who's who I haven't read in a long time, but I, I went through a very long Doris Lessing. You know how you go through phases, and you. Would the same author again and again. Yes. Um, who else would I invite? Um, look, somebody who hasn't written a lot, but I just think has got the most wonderful, irreverent mind, and that is Fran Lebovitz, the New York um, satirist. And who would be, look, probably Stephen Pinker, I'd have to say, because we, we'd, we'd inevitably get into huge arguments, and he'd be able to say, okay, let me give you the data and let me give you the facts, and he would be arbiter <laughs> of, the, of, of, of the numerous arguments that we'd inevitably get into. Mm. Always need a referee at dinner. Exactly. Especially if there's wine. Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Peter. I've really enjoyed learning more about your book and your career. The last question really is, what's next for Peter Quarry? Um, well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, whenever I, I finish a sort of project, I, I go through this period 
I guess a little bit like an actor who finishes a run uh, with a play and they kind of fall into a not a not a sort of a, a slump, but they it's like what now, what's next? And I'm just coming out of that now, um, and I'm thinking that I want to set up two internet channels, one on TikTok and one on Instagram, where I can dish out some advice, some psychological mm. advice, because that's my shtick, that's what I do. Um, and I, I, I've been sort of studiously avoiding social media for a number of years. And I think I have to succumb to its uh, its demands and its temptations. So There is an art to social media. I'm still a little bit clumsy. <laughs> oh, please, you know, if you're clumsy, where, where does that leave me, Kai? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of looking at venturing into that, but uh, uh, I'm taking baby steps to start with. I've, I've kept away from TikTok, but I think that's going to be the next yeah. frontier for me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet, meet you on TikTok. <laughs> there's, there's a thing called BookTok. Yes, um, yes. So I've got to learn more about that. I was a bit embarrassed a few weeks ago. I went to an event and they were talking about BookTok and I texted my friend, what's BookTok? Tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when you work it out, um, send me an email and let me know because uh, know. apparently it's very influential. So, uh, But that's sort of several steps down the path for me. So for someone who'd like to buy your book today, um, where's the best place for them to find it? Probably, look, it's just been released, so it's it's only sort of starting to dribble into the physical, you know, the bricks and mortar bookshops. Um, the best place really is online. I mean, Angus and Robertson, for example, um, you know, and, and most of the online ones uh, have it. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go online. And you've got your own website? people can find you out as well i i do indeed my website's peterquarry.com pretty obvious and uh so you can uh, have a little look at that and get some information about me and my past uh, there's a few links to i think there's a link to uh, a 1990 <laughs> clip of me with with bert newton on good morning australia if people want to have a real laugh um and there's links to um uh, more information about the book and about other things that i do so yeah so if, if people are interested peterquarry.com Great. So I'll um, include that in our show notes as well so people can find it. Thank you so easily. much. Thank you so much, Peter. Um, thank you for being on Totally Lit. It was a total pleasure. Lovely to speak with you. Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion, and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines, and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au. I really enjoyed my chat with Peter. I hope you did too. I'm lucky enough to have a copy of his book to give away, so jump on over to the Totally Facebook page for details on how to win. 
Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the Totally Lit socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totally lit. For those of you who know me, I'm kind of a caffeine addict, so you can keep me fueled with caffeine and this will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees. I love to interact with our listeners, so feel free to say hello either by email or social media. You can email me at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or find the Facebook page Totally Lit Podcast. I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Jump into the group and say hello. It's been um, an interesting month. I um, went and checked out uh, Comic-Con in Brisbane yesterday and got to see some amazing authors in the Artist Alley. Um, It was lovely to see Isabel Carmody, Kylie Chan, Trent Jamison, Kathleen Jennings, Claire Fitzpatrick and Helen Stubbs. So hello to you all. It was great to have a chat and I, I went and spent way too much money. What else has been happening this month? For those of you that have been supporting the Lismore auction by Zanny Louise, I've got a spot on the podcast to give away at the moment. I think it's sitting, the bids are at $80. So yeah, it would be great if you wanted to make a bid and help a worthy cause. That would be great. And just in case you haven't heard enough of my voice. I'm excited to share that I'm working on a new podcast project with my partner in crime, aka award-winning children's author Michelle Worthington. Mother of a podcast is coming to the airwaves soon. It is a podcast for neurodiverse mothers of neurodiverse children to feel seen and heard and to build a community with compassion and support. You can jump on over to Facey and follow our page, Mother of a Podcast, to keep up to date with our latest news and episode release dates. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create, ignite. Thank you.